FM 102.9, 105.9, and 1310 on your smart speaker. It is News Talk KZRG. Peter Thiel. Steve Scott. And Ted Bohorquez. His name is Scott Lincecum. He's like your economics trade guru at the Cato Institute. Good morning. Scott, thanks for coming on the KZRG Morning News Watch. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. It's uh, so... Uh, Trump started it, but uh, Democrats seem to be running with it, and a lot of people going yeah. through universal uh, global tariff. Tell yeah. us a little bit about it and why you think it sucks. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the United States for uh, several decades uh, liberalized tariffs. We lowered tariffs after decades of higher ones. Uh, President Trump, of course, uh, reversed this policy, imposing large tariffs on steel and aluminum and then imports from China. Um, and now he's up the ante uh, to propose this 10% global tariff on everything that comes into the country on top of all the tariffs we already have. Um, now, the Biden administration said this was a, a, a terrible idea, of course, um, but lesser discussed is that they have kept almost all of Trump's original tariffs. Um, and not only that, they've been fighting in the courts to maintain those tariffs when American companies who import a lot of these goods have tried to challenge them under existing law. Um, so uh, the economics of the tariffs are pretty straightforward. Um, we've now had uh, probably a dozen different studies from various academic economists from the International Trade Commission, government entity, all showing that these tariffs have imposed pretty substantial harms for the U.S. economy. Um, actually, uh, uh, destroying tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs, lowering manufacturing output overall, and really not doing much to boost the sectors that were getting all of this protection. You know, maybe a little extra output, but no big renaissance. Um, at the same time, we've seen an explosion in lobbying for tariff exceptions and for other new tariffs. We've seen all this litigation. And then trading partners have retaliated, not just China, you know, uh, talking about Europe and India and some close allies um, that have said, hey, uh, you know, now you're taxing our exports. Um, this doesn't comply with our trade agreements. So we're going to tax your exports, too. And then everybody ends up poorer. No, so I at the end of the day, classic economic case of the tariffs not really doing what what they're advertised to do now i will say i do have this question is that we have yeah. when it, whatever you purchase wherever you go is likely to be made by a multinational corporation which may or may not be based in the united states uh yeah. and certain components are from uh could be from china or some of these other countries but this would yeah. may have been manufactured uh, in uh, in Europe or in Asia or in uh, or in Latin America, how do we determine the tariff per item? And let's just say it has one small component that was originally right. manufactured in China. Right. Well, we have a dictionary called the Harmonized Tariff System that essentially is thousands and thousands of different tariff codes um, for every product you could possibly imagine. Um, and then we have more complicated rules of origin that determine content. So uh, it's not as simple as saying, well, if it's 50% plus one, uh, it's going to be uh, originating in Brazil. Um, it's much, much, much more complicated. 
Um, And so essentially, um, when you have tariffs, you actually are growing the government because you're going to need bureaucrats to determine the content, to determine whether this is made in Brazil or made in China or made in India or whatever. You're going to have lawyers fighting over it because different tariff rates will apply. There are some hilarious cases out there of vans being imported without seats because they get a a lower tariff rate than if they have seats. And so um, essentially, anytime you implement a complicated tariff system, you end up having a very complicated bureaucracy and lobbying that grows with it, because inevitably, there are going to be a lot of fights over what is and what isn't the definition of the good. The COVID uh, epidemic uh, basically came down to show uh, to a lot of people about the uh, essentially the amount of material that we have imported into our country, we still have supply chain issues uh, that don't seem to go through that. Um, It's uh, one would think that the tariffs would help us build new things here in the United States. Why is it failing? Right. Well, first, it's important to note the United States is still the second largest manufacturing nation on the planet uh, by by output, by the amount of stuff we produce. We're second only to China, which, of course, has 1.5 billion people um, compared to our piddly 380 million people. Right. So um, we're still a very large producer. Um, but the more important point is that products that were solely made in America suffered the same type of supply chain shortages as products made overseas. Uh, In fact, the worst and most prolonged crisis of the entire pandemic was in a product baby formula that was almost entirely made in the United States. And in fact, uh, global supply chains actually worked better uh, than purely domestic ones, like the baby formula situation. And the reason for that is that global supply chains tend to be more flexible. They're able to adapt. Multinationals are very, very good. They hire very smart people people, including here in the United States, by the way, who are very good at finding new sources of supply and adjusting on the fly when things go wrong. So, and you have, um, when you have a, a closed system like baby formula, you have big tariffs on imported baby formula from Europe, for example. When you have a closed system, you have a more sclerotic market, one that's less able to adapt, less able to grow and contract with market fluctuations, with disruptions, whether it's a pandemic or an earthquake or whatever. And so the best solution is to actually have a very open and dynamic economic system, lower taxes and regulations here in the United States, low or few, if any, barriers to trade, um, and allowing, uh, you know, of course, you're going to have health and safety regulations and the rest of that, um, but there's no reason we should be effectively banning the importation of European baby formula. For now, now it's uh, the, the other thing having to do, especially with some of the countries in Europe and Asia, like China, is that mm-hmm. it's not an even equal playing field because a lot of times these yeah. industries are uh, essentially propped up to make sure the prices remain low right. uh, for consumers yeah. outside of their country. How do we even make the playing field eat more even? Sure. Well, first, we we have to note that as an economic issue, uh, having foreigners subsidize our consumption is not a problem. 
uh, that if we can get cheaper baby formula or if our manufacturers can get cheaper steel, uh, they, that is actually better for us. It gives us more money to spend on other things and services and the rest. It gives American manufacturers more money to build cars or whatever they are, we're, you know, or aircraft. We build a lot of aircraft. So as an economic issue, it's not a, not a serious issue. Now, as a political issue and as a diplomatic issue, it is. Um, so we, we have an anti-subsidy regime that allows for investigations of subsidized imports, but that's not what our politicians are proposing. Um, instead, our politicians are not worried about the subsidies, just imposing flat tariffs on everything and anything. I mean, that's where the problem is, like a sledgehammer solution where you really need a scalpel. Um, but, of course, there are plenty of things we could be doing in the United States to make our manufacturing sector more competitive. Better tax policy, we can have better regulatory policy, better trade and immigration policy. You can go down the list of the things that we could be doing to help American manufacturers be more globally competitive. Unfortunately, we're not doing many of those things. Um, and thus, they're kind of fighting with one arm tied behind their back. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, I, I think that's interesting. Scott? Linsa come with the Cato Institute. By the way, I love the Cato Institute. You guys are you guys do amazing work uh, that I agree with a lot of the time. Uh, now, now, Scott, how do people learn more about you and the Cato Institute? Sure. Well, the, the best thing to do is just go to Cato.org. That's C-A-T-O.org. Uh, and then you can always find me hanging out on Twitter at, at Scott Lunsicum. Um, I guess it's now called X. But anyway, I'm a, a bit of a Twitter addict, too. You can find my work there. Uh, and I'm a columnist at The Dispatch, so I write a weekly newsletter there as well. Thank you very much, Scott. We'll do it again. My pleasure, guys. Have a All good right. one. All right. Scott Lunsicum, everybody, is News Talk.